Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of dream chasers and wealth makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, I am pleased to have with me my friend and fellow advisor, Scott Heinola, all the way from Dallas, Texas. Scott, thanks for joining me. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. It's good oh, to be here on the Zandbergen Report. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. As always. Okay. So we are going to discuss the best that we can, a, a review of 2022, the highs and the lows. Uh, and then also the best that we can, what we're expecting for 2023. How do you feel about that? I'm ready to dive in, sir. All right. It's, well, it's uh, interesting times, not just that 2023 through all kinds of things at us and investors at large, but 2023 is looking to be quite the whipsaw. Yes, this, this is true. This is true. And before we get too far into it, Scott, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you. We're going to do a little brain quiz. I want to get you really ready for the show. So are you prepared? You ready? We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll let's let's right. see what the let's results see. will be let's in a see. minute. So every year, dictionaries name a word of the year. Some select the word that is most frequently searched. Others put it to a vote. So, Scott, which of these was not among the top contenders for Merriam-Webster's 2022 word of the year here they are loamy l-o-a-m-y gaslighting goblin mode or oligarch which one was not which word was not okay yeah. it it's it we're gonna remove oligarch from that okay that was definitely in the news uh Was it Lomi? It was. It was not. Mm. Um, I literally, other than oligarch, had to look up everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> so apparently, we're not in the cool crowd, not knowing all those words are. But um, Goblin did not make the Merriam-Webster shortlist, but it did. Uh, it was on the Oxford Languages Word of the Year. Here's what it means, in case you don't know, because I didn't. A type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. And that was the word that was not? Yes. Interesting. So Mer Webster's word of the year was gaslighting, which I had heard but didn't know what it means. And so that's my knowledge, limited knowledge. And it is... The, um, do you know what it is? I do, but go okay. ahead for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay. adding the fuel to the fire, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. The act or practice of grossly misleading someone's, uh, someone, especially for one's own advantage. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm not done, Scott. We've got more. We have got more. All right. Obviously, the pandemic shaped away what people do and the way people eat and so on with time on their hands many people taught themselves uh how to cook and matter of fact they spent a lot less money on food during that time period 
2022, more people searched for one recipe than any other. Here's the list. Tell me which one you think they did. Cincinnati chili, marry me chicken, sugo, S-U-G-O, for mango pie. Wait, so so sugo and mang mango pie are separate. Yes, they are. Okay, I have no idea what sugo is. <laughs> um, I would definitely exclude Cincinnati soup or chili soup. Chili, yeah. Uh, so um, the lugo would be sugo. too easy. Sugo. sugo. Yeah. Um, it. What was the second one? Marry me chicken. Okay, I'm gonna go with marry me chicken. Okay. As a sidebar, Tina called it um, engagement chicken, and she, you know, two weeks into our relationship, she made me engagement chicken, and you know, 19 years later, here we are. But that's not the answer. The answer is sugo. Um, oh my! What? Here's what it is. Is sugo a legendary tomato-based Italian sauce that's made by cooking tomatoes with onions, garlic seasoning, and extra virgin olive oil? That okay, sounds like, it sounds wonderful. Like a tomato sauce. All right. Anyway, you feel warmed up? How's your brain? Exercised. Let's continue pressing forward. Excellent. Okay. Um, so let's talk about, first of all, 2022 in general. As we know, uh, it was both, it was a, let's just call it a terrible year for both stocks and bonds. You know, if you average the different stock indexes, S&P 500, MSCI, which represents global stock index, NASDAQ, et cetera, you're down about 25% in a straight, uh, if you average those stocks. Probably more disturbing is that the bond in index, as measured by the bond ag aggregate, AGG, was down about 15%. Um, only one time in the last 45 years have both stocks and bonds been down at the same time. So that's what created some, some um, unhappiness, uh, I think, in 2022 from an investment standpoint. You know, as a side, the way you and I manage money, this, it's good news that we use things other than stocks and bonds that have really helped our portfolios. And in some cases, something near and dear to your heart, like fixed annuities and things like that. So um, we had that going for us. Yeah. And other private alternative investments as well that aren't affected by the public markets, which certainly had an impact in 2022, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm hmm. Um, but you know, if we, we dig down a little bit deeper, so what was causing, you know, some of this, this turbulence? Well, we had, uh, un uncertainty about the federal reserve hikes, and that was a pretty significant hike in, in rates, uh, war in Ukraine, uh, COVID-19, you know, it rears its ugly head again in China, labor shortage, uh, and then of course inflation. So if you add all those things, a lot of uncertainty. And of course, the, the direct or, if you will, indirect relationship between the rising interest rates and the value of bonds. Um, you know, many people don't know it's, it's just a straight math equation. If, if interest rates go up, value of bonds go down. So clearly, if we look at, I mean, treasuries a year ago were like about a, roughly 0.17. And if we look at the 10 year today at uh, hovering around four, somewhere thereabouts, that's a pretty significant increase. Yeah, I'll add to that and something maybe we can set aside and revisit before we convene. But also when you look at 2022 and just from an equity standpoint, which sectors were impacted the most and 
and and certainly the gem of the bunch which is the tech sector as a whole uh previous to 2022 has done incredibly well for the previous decade right and when you look at 2022 in particular it was one of the sectors that was impacted most um and is currently dealing with a lot of adjustment yeah i think there um you hit a good point we've got about a 10 years of very solid what we would call growth the growth sector of the stock market and those would be you know primarily tech um stocks that do not pay a dividend stocks that um typically do and this is this is going to be related stocks that do typically rely on interest rates and financing for for growth um therefore when interest rates go up cost of borrowing is more expensive so as a whole, that group, if we look at, we just name a few like the Amazons and companies like that, you know, good companies that got hit pretty hard that are in that category. The flip side, and just to play on the rest of your statement, if you look at companies or ETFs or funds that focus on large US dividend paying stocks, think of IBM, Procter & Gamble, Home Depot, these are not recommendations, these are just examples, um, held up, you know, they were down, you know, for the year, but um, comparatively speaking, held up quite well. Correct. Significantly more resilient than that of their technology peers. And, you know, you, you, you had some very unique um, circumstances and, and activity in technology stocks. You know, you mentioned Amazon, but you've got also some very, what I call, um, you know, napkin uh, a cocktail party stocks like a tesla mm -hmm. uh, zoom peloton i mean just to put out some different names of uh, of of investments that individuals were i think very very um you know migrating towards from a sexy standpoint and did incredibly well during covid and and then as things adjusted in the economy pivoted and opened up again and and your point interest rates well, those stocks and those particular investments were impacted significantly as opposed to the 3Ms of the world and, and companies that are just very, very stable dividend paying companies, your blue chip companies that just weathered the storm significantly better than the others. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, you know, if we, we, I mean, we could dissect each of those different areas, inflation, um, you know, let's play both good and bad. The good news on inflation is we have seen it start to ease. Um, here in the US, it was up as high as near 9% or thereabouts at the max in 2022. And I think we're hovering in the fives right now. So that's that's some nice softening. But I think more, more importantly, or significantly internationally, I mean, there's some countries like well, Venezuela, 73%, Turkey, 154%. There was, there was some significant inflation impact. And of course, part of that, I think, is on their ability to get natural resources. The war of uh, Russia and Ukraine affects certain countries differently. Um, so that that certainly has an impact, had an impact and will continue on international investing. You know, you look at uh, so I, I question, you know, from that perspective, uh, 2023 and 2024, uh, are we are those countries now more stabilized than they were in 2022 or do we you know do we foresee continued headwinds and significant inflation outside of of the US yeah 
the 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 correct answer is nobody knows for sure so let's start there um but if we're looking for an opinion uh my opinion is i think there's still going to be some strong headwinds in in um, um non-us countries specifically probably in europe right you know, we, we as a firm have really reduced our exposure to those type of areas but i will say under the same breath um we still do have exposure internationally and um as you know we do what was called the bottom up approach uh which is we are first of all looking for great companies uh almost regardless of where they're established and if they're or domiciled and if they're multinational uh they're doing business outside of whatever country they're in and there are plenty of examples of countries that are in europe that do most of their business outside of europe and the companies are doing great they're right. deemed international companies uh, but they are multinational in the way that they do business. Makes per certain sense. Makes perfect sense. Moving right. on. Moving on. All right. So we covered inflation. Um, no, not everything is terrible, right? Job growth was strong. Uh, matter of fact, it was the second best year for job creation since 1939. So it seems a bit contrary to everything, given what everything else that was going on. Uh, but that's the statistic uh, for 2022. And then we just saw unemployment numbers come in at about 3.7. So from that standpoint, things look pretty good. Well, with the recent jobs report, right, it was over 500,000 new jobs were created in the quarter when, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the expectations were somewhere in the 180 or 170,000 range. So there's where I bring in this comment of whipsaw. Uh, yeah. You know, if expectations are X, and uh, employment numbers are coming significantly greater, wouldn't that indicate that we're not over, we're not done yet with this inflation conversation? Um, and then conversely, you've got the Fed only raising rates 25 basis points, which created the market to just go on a tear uh, in the short term. And so, you know, you've got these conflicting metrics that are coming at us currently, and there's where there's still, although stability, you know, you question what does the rest of 2023 in the future bring? Yeah, I think we're getting close to, to kind of talking about that, but um, you bring up a good point. And, you know, um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is actually, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> and that was Yogi Berra. <laughs> a little bit of comedy there. Thanks for laughing. Um, Another kind of abnormality is, uh, of the whole situation is that real personal income actually increased. Um, I guess it's maybe it's not that abnormal if you just look at classic economics, you know, um, unemployment low was low, the labor supply was limited. Um, so employees were able to negotiate, negotiate better wages uh, with the real income increase of about 1.4%. So that's after inflation, uh, one4 so that's kind of an interesting fact, I think. And then somewhat connected to that, um, not only was personal income increased, but so did spending. People were going on trips, people were buying cars, light trucks, they spent money on healthcare, food, accommodations. Um, so spending began to slow down a bit in the fourth quarter, um, to your point. So, you know, what does that mean for 2023? But I found it interesting with everything going on that that was still considered yeah a lot of that i would say is probably driven just by the fact that people have surplus surplus capital from 
from the COVID and the money supply that was provided through COVID. And, and so they're still living off, off the cash in their savings account or their checking account and uh, consumers were outspending. Well, quite another question I don't expect to answer right now, but what does now, when, when that money runs out, what happens? Yeah, right, right. Those are great questions. Um, let's take a look at, at housing. So, um, home prices. Yep. But you now, um, in Q4, we started to see, see things cool off just a bit. Um, so housing prices as of October of 22 were up 9.2% year over year, but down 2.7 over the, the previous three months. So, you know, still up, but definitely a cooling. And then apartment rental income was down 2.2 for the previous three months and in October 2022. And I think which which is I mean the reality everybody wants things to only go up, but uh, some pullback certainly in the real estate market is a very very healthy thing overall. So that's a good sign. I think people it's important that people understand that. Yeah, and you know, I, and I think we just. To a, to a sense, we do to need to be logical as well. And if you use classic economics and a little bit of logic um, for those who are financing a purchase of a home, what a year ago, uh, roughly you could get 3% or sub 3% on a 30 year mortgage. And now there's six point something that's double the interest rate. That means the affordability of, you know, X price home is going to be significantly less for the buyer. That's good. I, I mean, that's destined to bring prices down. Well, 100%. I mean, and that's the part that a lot, I think just maybe many people don't necessarily take uh, into account is how significant of an impact a rise in, in interest rates have on the affordability of that home. Because for most consumers, what does it come down to? Not necessarily the price of the home, but what the monthly payment is and what I can actually, what, what I can actually support based on my, my income. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. run some basic numbers of just the difference. Let's take a $500,000 mortgage, which to be honest in Southern California, you're, you're going to be hard to find. Sure. Um, and if interest rates are at six and a half percent, you know, your mortgage payment is roughly 3,300, $3,300, $3,300 a month. You know, when, if I, if I was to use the most extreme example of when interest rates really bottomed, which is let's call it 2.75%. You know, you're cutting a thousand or twelve hundred dollars off of that mortgage payment. That's real money. Yeah. Uh, you double that if your loan is a million, right? You're talking twenty four hundred dollars, twenty four hundred dollars a month, two thousand dollars a month. That's that is significantly uh, different, and has a direct consequence on the affordability and 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 then turn the pricing of real estate. Yeah. And this is, uh, uh, I just happened to find this, this related quote uh, from David Kelly, chief uh, strategist for JP Morgan. He says, for many people, I suspect 2022 will be a year to forget. However, for millions of home builders, home sellers, and home buyers, it will be remembered for the speed with which a housing boom turned into a housing bust. And that, of course, is attributable to the surge in, in mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. You know, I think and if we're yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm about ready to switch and maybe look forward a little bit more. So you go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, that's very well said and articulated. Or well, thank you, Scott. Yes. Not you. Uh, 
what he said. Oh, David Kelly. Well, okay. Well, I'll get <laughs> no credit for reading. No reading. Like, well, I thought it was quite <laughs> articulate. Um, you know, getting back to that that funny quote about prediction, you, there are predictions forecasts that will support about anything that's out there right now. I'm, you know, there's 30, I, I'm reading something from Goldman Sachs, a 35% chance of a soft landing in 2023. Um, Bank of America survey, 92% of asset managers participating in uh, survey um, are expecting higher inflation in 2023. That's probably kind of a no brainer. Uh, and then 63% chance of a recession in 2023. Uh, you know, recession, soft landing, those are somewhat connected. You could have a recession and still have a soft landing. But the point is, nobody knows, right, for sure. Um, and regardless of whether they know or not, we we just need to um, stick to our our plan, do what we should do, uh, be financially um uh, secure with what we're doing and 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 I, and I would add to that that understanding that this situation is historically fluid right i mean this whole term of soft landing and navigation navigating interest rates with the money supply and the economic and, and and global circumstances that are surrounding all of these parameters this is a very very fluid situation um so even more to the point of just of of being aware and sticking to the plan um and staying the course i think is more important than ever right i think it's also important to note and you and i we talk we have talked about this all the time but you know recession creates you know kind of an ugly feeling in most people and oh no what's going to happen in my portfolio but let us keep in mind that the stock market is economically speaking a leading indicator uh, with the economy and recession very periods, meaning we just had a bear mark or we're, well, we don't know now we have, we've had a great month in January, but we had a bear market in 2022. Um, and we have not yet been deemed to be in a recession. So uh, let's just assume that that is going to be stated here at some point soon. The stock market has led us into that in, uh, recession and will be the first to lead us out. So. You know, hypothetically, we could be announced that we're in a recession and we could see the stock market continue to do nothing but go up. So interesting fact that just because we're in a recession does not mean that the portfolio is going to suffer. Correct. Um, somewhat related to that, we are, if we look at yields and we, I mentioned treasuries earlier on, we are in what's known as an inverted yield curve, which means we are receiving higher rates of return on the shorter durations versus the longer. Now, every recession has had an inverted yield curve, but not every inverted yield curve leads to a recession. So there's really not much, to, uh, uh, probably maybe value about that other than the fact that just because we are in the inverted yield curve situation now, that does not guarantee that we're going to be in a recession. Right. But we are enjoying those short-term yields right now, I must say. Absolutely. I mean, to be able to get, you know, close to or in excess of 4% for something with a maturity date of less than 12 months is, I mean, <laughs> historically speaking, when have we seen that? That's right. Exactly right. 
So getting back to that statement regarding the different forecasts, the different expectations, uh, there are some that expect earnings to grow, that even despite the concerns of possible recession and so on and so forth, um, John Butler, December 9th, 2022 from FactSet, um, expects that there's going to be um, positive earnings in 2023, uh, even though there's a possibility of a recession. And, and this particular gentleman is expecting the S&P to re report single-digit uh, earning growth in calendar year 2023, expecting, looks like his expectation is about 5.5%. And then, you know, it doesn't take long to go find another uh, December, also 2022 from Michael Zen, managing director of UBS, um, expect earnings to be in a recession. Uh, and that's what he told the CNBC on Swapbox. So again, expectations, forecasts um, are abundant. And again, this not to be repetitive, but I am going to be, and this is where I think the year of 2023 is, I mean, this whipsaw year. I mean, you think about some of these these stocks that we just mentioned uh, from their lows. Tesla, uh, I mean, it was not too yeah. long ago, less than two months ago, it was at one hundred dollars yeah. a share, yeah, uh, or thereabout, and now it's two hundred and six dollars a share. I mean, th th those behaviors, that movement in any given stock is not normal. Um, you look at Facebook, right? I mean, these are. These are prolific companies that are, I would argue, very good and strong companies. But that kind of volatility is so extreme. Um, you know, what what does the rest of 2023 look like? Uh, and how are some of these companies from a stock standpoint are going to respond to this is a great question. Um, right. Nobody knows to right. your previous points. So diversification and, and finding stable blue chip companies and having having true diversification not just among any any type of equity but other asset classes is critically important now probably more than in many many years uh, i couldn't agree more i think this the 60 40 model that is 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 quite typical and and well accepted uh, had one of its worst performances ever last year and you know, what do you get when you have two indexes down 25 and 15% respectively? I think it just mandates uh, a little more um, out of the box thinking, you know, mm -hmm. which is you know, what you and I do. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about equities, but let's let's take a second and talk about bonds and fixed income. So we, we've we've addressed a couple of times already about the, the, the terrible year of the bear market in bonds. It was a I tough it, year. <laughs> I think it's worth noting, uh, and you know, to keep things in perspective, uh, the bond market has never been down two years in a row. And the last time it was down was 1994, and it was a 2.9% drop. So 2.9 versus 13 or 14, between 13 and 14 this last year. Um, we are talking to some of our bond managers, and while they're they are simultaneously licking their wounds from the you know, performance of the bonds, they are also hungry and buying up everything that they can because if you start if if today pick a day starts day one in the life of a, a bond or at least of, of the time that you own it you've now purchased something at a lower price and as the yields are going up um, the managers are quite excited about getting a, a really nice bond portfolio with higher yields and buying them all at a good price so you know kind of tying closing off on 2022 and 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 
you know, tying a, a boat, a nice bow on them. <laughs> Hopefully what can all be behind us, right? As we look forward, yeah. um, no, no one can be certain on how long a bear market will last. Uh, but this one, by all indications, it does seem pretty normal, right? So the question for you, Bart, is what, what does the future hold and how long will this bear market last? Yeah, great. Ask me a question that going to put me on the spot and everybody's going to say you said this just kidding um (laughs) (laughs) well we are at about the length now we're about 11 months uh uh, into a bear market and that is about the average length of bear markets some have been a few months longer some have been a few months shorter um one thing i can say for sure is not every bear market turns into a recession so you can see, I'm not really picking a lane as to whether or not we're going into recession or not. I'm just trying to, to put out some facts that, that would say that, hey, it is possible. And it's also possible that we do not. Um, you know, there's certainly forecasts that with the positive growth uh, and with the, the thing, the interest rates that are that are lightening, the inflation that's that has been um, softening, that we could have a positive year on the stock market. You know, I. I I don't want to focus too much on just the stock market because the way that you and I manage money, it's not just stocks and we've used enough other assets, but I know it's, it's what seems to be near and dear to people's hearts. So, right. You know, and it, it, I think it's important to understand though, that in, in a, a bear market, right. Opportunities are created a little bit of that reset button is hit. And, and, and in that there are opportunities that do present themselves and, that's important to be aware of that. And there, and so good things come from corrections and bear markets and opportunities to open up. Uh, you know, there's also a number of, of just uh, global and economic conditions that seem to be uh, coming to an end in sight, i.e. perfect example, the Fed, instead of raising a half or three quarters of a point, rating, raising a quarter point and saying that it, it seemingly so that inflation is starting to um, wane a bit and start to come down into the, into the realm that we're, we've been targeting and focusing on. And those are good things. If, if the situation in Ukraine comes to a resolution, that'll obviously have a positive impact. So there's just a number of things that look to be moving in, in the right direction and heading towards a close, which will have positive impact for sure. That is a great lead into the next thing I wanted to cover is, is, okay, so we're in a bear market or at the end of a bear market, what happens next? Um, Statistically speaking, the average return, according to Carson Investment Research, Ned Davis Research, and Faxet, um, 12 months later, using the S&P 500 after a bear market, so bear market ends 12 months later, is about 30%. So that's average, some higher, some lower. Uh, I'm not saying we're done with the bear market, but to your point, Scott, just to really play into that, with everything, you know, with bad stuff comes good opportunities. And I think the opportunities now are, hey, um, one, and this is, you know, eventually how we're gonna end this this great chat is, you know, what do we do now? Stick to your plan, um, stick to, trust the process, trust your allocation and look at opportunities. If the if the equity portion of your portfolio has reduced, most likely has as a matter of math and, and percent, 
make sure you reallocate and you will now be buying equities most likely at a lower price, which is going to help to ramp up the return of your portfolio. Very well said. You know, I think also what you had in 2022 with that exacerbated or just amounted added to the performance was, and this is a strategy that you have uh, adopted with many of your clients when, when a good fit is tax loss harvesting. Oh, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you got to believe that there was um, a healthy amount of that happening as you headed in towards the end and close of 2022. And then subsequently in the beginning and early parts of 2023, you're probably seeing some of that move money move back into uh, various investments. So to not label any one category, but back into the investment category as a whole. Yeah. And I, you know, the, I think the high level takeaway from that is we're all faced with, with, challenges throughout our life and it, it's it's how you respond to those challenges and in in one instance is hey, if you're dealt lemons let's try to make some lemonade and you know i think looking at a buying opportunity looking at tax loss harvesting is is a great example of that you know the other the other thing that will subside from an economic and just productivity standpoint is the scarcity of items supply chain issues you know all of those things really reared their ugly head in 2022 and you're seeing signs of progress there you know china opening up you mentioned that early on that certainly has a positive impact um the 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 issues of semiconductors uh companies ramping up and and getting the computer components and semiconductors back into supply and getting these big electronics be it vehicles all the way down to tvs and probably smaller electronics moving out of the system creates supply reduces cost helps the overall economy and the overall strength of these companies so there's just a number of things that that all played into this that that seem to be smoothening out if you will um at, at present time and should hopefully continue to improve into the future yeah i couldn't agree more i think this is a good time to maybe we can get ready to close up and um I've got five points that I think uh, people should be aware of as we're we're going through these times and, and, and something to think about and kind of starts with the fact that, you know, to worry is normal, right? We're all we have things in our lives and, and, and finances is a big part of, of, of what we do and how we do it. So to worry is normal and just acknowledge that it is normal. It's, it's you know, you're not a strange individual if you're worrying about money. Right. It means you care. If exactly I'm worried about right. something, I, I care. I care about that matter. And that's a good thing. <laughs> right. Uh, I would say avoid fear-based decisions, right? Emotional decisions um, uh, very rarely uh, pan out, uh, you know, with, with positive results. Um, you know, during short volatility is part of, of, of life. And um, if, if, do not allow it to cause you to make short-term decisions rely on your financial plan, keep on the long-term plan. Um, and that has shown over time to really pay off. Stay the course. Matter of fact, thanks for taking point number two, stay the course. <laughs> have, have, have a plan, follow the plan. Right. And then these are all so connected and keep your eyes on the, on the end goal, right? 
Um, we have met with so many clients and, and um, as we have gone over portfolio results, we've looked at their financial plan, um, plugged in the results and in 100% of the case, like, hey, financial plan still looks great, right? The end in mind, begin with the end in mind. Um, you know, connected with that is trust the plan. So these are all, you know, very well connected. Uh, but the last one is, which is something you can do as well is just is be mindful of spending. Right. It's during these times, if if you can you spend less, save more, there's opportunities to buy. If you are counting on the income from your portfolio and you can spend less, that's less of a draw, a, a draw on your portfolio. So um, I think that's a great point as well. Absolutely. Well, sir, we did it. We did it. Any wise words you would like to add in closing? The only thing that I would reiterate is that changing economic conditions, it, it, cycles, are a very healthy thing overall. Uh, markets, companies, leadership are all very resilient. And it's a very important, I mean, perfect example, right? You're seeing instead of the focus of, of equity companies being focused on top line revenue, which they were for many years when interest rates were zero, uh, money was essentially free. What have they done? Uh, the market has essentially told them and forced companies to now focus on profitability and um, healthy growth. And so what is the result of that? We're seeing companies as painful as that is uh, that were bloated and just had had an unbalanced balance sheet and unhealthy balance sheet they're making those corrections they're getting rid of workforce uh, all that to be said new companies will be born from that wonderful opportunities will be created from that these companies that have significantly experienced uh, adjustments to their stock price we're seeing the turnaround there and you're going to continue to see that earnings are coming in very strong so there's just a number of, of positive indicators that are coming out of all of this in closing, weather the storm, stay the course, and have a diversified portfolio. Wise words, my friend, wise words. All right, Scott, thank you for being a great co-host. Thank you for your participation. <laughs> Thanks for coming in all the way from Dallas. Of course. Um, we want to thank everyone who has tuned in. If you have any questions or would like to talk further, please reach out. In the meantime, I look forward to being back in the studio next week. Cheers. Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zanbergen.